This week on the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast, Season 5, Episode 15, Try, written by Angela Kang and directed by Michael E. Satrasimus. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, general editor, general editor, editor-in-chief, all of that good stuff, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Hey, Kate. I'm okay. You? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good, but we were doing some Comic-Con scheming uh, here before we started recording, so that's that's a good thing. We got approved for press, so that was in question for a while, but Sound On Sight will be at Comic-Con this year. But the question is, will Walking Dead be at Comic-Con? Because there's a lot of people backing out, like Marvel backed out of comic-con game of thrones backed out uh there was someone else that backed out like some other huge studio wait game of thrones backed out i missed that one. Oh yeah oh, that's not a huge sure oh yeah i'm actually a bad nerd here but i'm actually kind of happy because i can never go to to the game of thrones panel anyways because it's sandwiched between film stuff so i would never get in um to hall h for that um so i'm gonna miss the awesome they give out hbo is like the only person only tv studio that gives out anything they give out really awesome swag so that kind of is a bummer um but i'm gonna be glad if that means that the hall h line isn't so insane everyone who gets into the panel you get it they give you a ticket and you go and you can go pick up a bag full of stuff so like a t-shirt and a notebook and like all, all that like hbo hooks their their fans up pretty much nobody else does though <laughs> But I'm getting distracted here uh, because I should be introducing our wonderful guest from the Mid-Season Replacements podcast, and this is our design and sound on site and many other places as well, Sean Coletti. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. Now, are you excited about Comic-Con? Because you're going to make the drive up at least to hang out a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm always excited to go down to San Diego, and Comic-Con is particularly uh, strange and interesting experience with <laughs> that many people there who have such similar interests. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> I feel like it's something you have to experience. You can't truly, until you've seen the throngs of people, you can't really understand. But uh, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, that being said, despite I, I would be surprised if Walking Dead was didn't come. Um, though it seems like Walker Stalker Con is really their big con, but who knows? Yeah, but um, actually Chandler Riggs was on uh, Talking Dead this week, and he was talking about san diego comic-con for quite a bit so i think uh it's guaranteed they're going to be showing up again this year apparently it's like a big thing a big deal for uh for amc yeah yeah i know the yeah i would i would be very surprised i guess i should say if they didn't especially since they do have a new show that seems like they, it would be good to push at comic-con um called i think like human or humans or something um anyways we're getting distracted we need to be talking about Season 5, Episode 15, which is Try, and again, as I said earlier, written by Angela Kang, directed by Michael E. Satrazimus. As we always say uh, at the top of the podcast, there will be no spoilers for the future episodes of The Walking Dead. There will be no spoilers from the comics of anything that hasn't already happened on the show. We may discuss previous things that have happened in the comics and how they compare and contrast to the show, but we will not discuss any spoilers. This is a no-spoiler no zone. We don't even talk about the next week on trailer Y'all are uh, have no need to worry. You'll be just fine. I have not read the comics. Ricky has. Sean, what's your relationship with the Walking Dead comics? I've read quite a few of them, but the show has surpassed how far I've read into the story. 
Well, I know that Sean, you recently caught up with with the series. You've been meaning to uh, to catch up, and you know this was a good reason to marathon for you. How is the? Uh, what did you think of Try? And uh, I'm curious how this whole Alexandria arc has played to you. Um, you know, watching it back to back to back, do you think it's particularly effective in that way, or is you know like as a bubble of sanity for a while, or maybe boiling tension that finally boils over in this episode? Uh, it's actually, it was really enjoyable to do all of this at once because, um, maybe oftentimes in the past, having like a week off to think about a Walking Dead episode hasn't really helped it in certain cases. I guess it depends on what season we're talking about. But with this, I, I definitely enjoyed how much, um, the script was paying attention to maybe some of our concerns as viewers where, they were very aware of this can't just be Woodbury again. This can't be any of the other places that they've tried to settle in. Um, and so they're, they're taking it very seriously. And I, I enjoyed the respect for that. The, this idea that a bunch of characters, whether that's Carl or Michonne or Rick or, or Daryl or Carol realized that being there uh, has the potential to make them weak. And we're seeing how various people, especially Sasha in this episode, are really having difficulty acclimating in that way. What did you think of uh, of this episode, Ricky, and how it's sort of continuing this thread of Alexandria? Hmm. I don't know. This this episode was strange. I mean, right from the opening scene when we hear the Nine Inch Nails music, I'm like, okay, first of all, two weeks in a row where we have this awful soundtrack. Last week was dubstep. This week it's like, and I used to like Nine Inch Nails when I was like in high school. Um, but it just kind of felt like so out of place and so out of tone with what The Walking Dead normally does. You know, the thing is, whenever they settle into, quote unquote, a safe haven or what they think will be a safe place, I feel like the fans of The Walking Dead, and that could include us, get a little restless. You know, for example, season two, right? <laughs> I think most people hate season two. I happen to love season two. But, you know, there was that whole like search for Sophia for like 18 weeks or something, uh, which did get a little frustrating so i mean i'm kind of glad that now they've you know moved the, the plot forward and you know specifically with the fight at the end rick grimes like losing his shit and beating the crap out of pete and therefore we have that tension between rick grimes and deanna and the rest of the people that live at, at alexandria and i would you know i guess it gives us somewhat of an, an idea or a clue what they're going to do next week but i kind of feel like this whole entire episode is scattershot it's just so weird. Like, I can't even, apart from maybe Michonne, I don't think that there was a satisfying character beat for me at all. And I'll give you a prime example. Uh, my favorite character, Daryl. I mean, my two favorite characters are Daryl and Michonne. Okay, so Michonne, amazing. We'll talk about Michonne throughout the podcast. But Daryl, he was in this episode for perhaps like less than five minutes he and Aaron discover that there's someone in the woods and they go out looking for this person and we never see Daryl again for the entire episode. And so, I don't know, for me, it was somewhat disappointing. I'm not saying it was a bad episode. I do love the way it's directed and we'll talk about this throughout the podcast, but it was just one of my least favorite episodes of this half of the season. Even Carl's little mini arc wasn't satisfying to you. When Carl finally, he may, maybe oh, he has God. a girlfriend. Come you on. Know, I did not care. I, I, look, I, I love Carl's character. And I mean, it's been like four weeks in a row now that I've been saying that I think we're going to get a lot more of Carl. He's going to become like a really key player for this series. And I'm all about watching this kid grow. And I think he's an amazing actor. And on the talking dead, 
you know, he he appears on The Talking Dead clearly out of character, like he's himself, and he seems like a really nice kid. Like I was like, wow, like he doesn't seem full of himself. You see, he was really shy. I was like, this dude's pretty cool. But I wasn't down with the whole like young adult novel kind of feel between of, of that scene between him and Enid, like the slow motion running shots. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I thought it yeah. was super cute. <laughs> I was. Yeah. I mean, he, of course, he's not acting around girls. He hasn't been around girls. The last girls he was around was Mika. Crazy yeah, Mika. He, you know what? Enid, she's interesting. Like, I like what she says to Carl. I think she says something like uh, when. When they go hide in the tree, she says uh, it's the zombies world now. Like, we're just living in their world. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, I just really did not care much for the slow motion scenes and them running through the woods and hiding in the tree. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe the framing of it was a little bit cheesy. But at the same time, it is it is a unique interaction for Carl in this series up to this point, And also... Enid is kind of interesting, and they didn't, like, immediately pull the trigger on, on trying to push us too far in that direction. Like, they don't kiss. They're both kind of nervous around each other. She also has a backstory that's troubled and that she's not really willing to talk about. So she's one of the few people in Alexandria, I think, that, that really fits in with this group. I also enjoy that, uh, I mean, just on a purely TV geek kind of level, uh, I she, of course, I know Enid as, you know, one of the people from Too Many Cooks. So when she showed up and had, like, one line of dialogue and then disappeared for a while, I was a little worried it was, like, just stunt casting and that she, <laughs> they weren't going to actually give her anything. So I'm glad that we get to spend a little time with her here. Um, also, I mean, maybe I've just bought in too much to the um, badassery of Rick's crew, Rick's team here. Um, but the fact that she's able to so easily give Carl the slip gives her serious badass points for me and uh, tells me that she is somebody, she, she's one of the people you want to have around in a fight. Unlike, you know, most of the people who've been doing, like, I guess all the people who have been volunteering to go on runs in Alexandria. Um, I mean, everyone at Alexandria. Cause she, she originally came from outside of the walls. Like I believe they found her. So she was living out in, I don't know, middle of the woods surviving. So she knows what it's like to be out there surrounded by walkers like Carl. So that's the difference between her and the rest of the kids at Alexandria. I did really like what we get um, here this week from Glenn. And uh, the, it's been great to see as much as, you know, I didn't need to literally, literally see uh, what, you know, Glenn watched Noah get eaten last week. Um, but it's been great to see, his uh, arc over the last couple of episodes and uh, for the show to actually give him something to do again. But I really liked uh, his assessment in this episode that the trouble is these walls went up around Alexandria and the, the part of the reason, the plus side of Alexandria having these walls and being able to have, you know, stayed safe is that there, these are most of them good people. There are still good people left. These are the first good people, you know, that aren't just trying to kill them and aren't horrible that the group has run across, at least a group of them, that is, you know, like a, they, you know, the individual people have been maybe promising or good or additions to the team or whatever, but they haven't found a, a structure or a large group of people that is good because all the good people got killed off by the, by the walkers. At least that's, it seems what the show that's what the show is saying. But then, of course, the downside to that is that 
um, all of the incompetent people <laughs> didn't get killed off either. Uh, what did you guys think of that? Was I, am I a bad person for finding that scene kind of funny? Uh, it's not funny, no. It's also one of the reasons that Glenn is interesting in this episode to show me. What's Aaron's friend's name? Nicholas. Nicholas. Uh, for him to to just confront Nicholas about what had happened and to let him know that he's basically one of those weak people who really shouldn't have made it and is lucky to be there. So it, it feels like ever since the very beginning of the series, we've gotten very little of Glenn's character development. He's always been useful on screen and for the group as a whole, but um, this was a good beat, I think, for him. Yeah, well, I like I like what he says to uh, Nicholas. Like uh, Nicholas asks him, he's like, "Are you threatening me?" And he says, "No, I'm actually saving you," which is actually kind of true. But the problem I have with this scene is, to me, it's a big, huge warning sign that Glenn is next to die because later in the episode, Nicholas gets back, and I think I'm assuming it's the same gun that Rick hid way back, like three episodes ago, right? In yeah, the yeah, because we see the J written on it. Exactly. Okay, so he gets back the gun. So that means that either A, he found the gun without knowing that Rick Grimes hit it, which I doubt, and or he was spying on Rick Grimes, took the gun, you know, purposely took the gun away from, like, I mean, and I, I guess, like, I can understand that him maybe wanting to protect Alexandria and the people at, at Alexandria, but here's the thing, is that I actually think that because we know that Deanna exiled three, if not more, people... I'm assuming one of the people that she exiled, if not more, are actually friends or relatives of Nicholas. And so I don't trust Nicholas. And the fact that now him and Glenn are butting heads and the fact that, you know, he almost had Glenn killed. He had Noah killed. He had uh, – well, he didn't really have Aiden killed. It wasn't his fault that Aiden died, but he didn't exactly try to help him. I kind of feel like that whole scene was kind of like – Glenn's last scene and I could be wrong but that's what I didn't like about it because it's just it feels like with the walking dead it's all always so obvious who's going to die next you know like with Noah like with Tyrese and so on and so forth it's like they give the character a specific scene it's like foreshadowing the death of this character as opposed to being surprising like I would like to see one of these major characters die like I love foreshadowing in movies and TV but it's also nice to be pleasantly surprised and so I don't know I would like to like if they ever kill Daryl which I think they might actually do one day we'll see um, but I don't want any clues right? I don't know about you guys but I like I don't want foreshadowing. I don't want hints, clues, nothing. I, if Daryl dies, I want him to die, and we'll we'll all be like, "Holy shit!" Like Game of Thrones style, right? <laughs> so that's my problem with that scene. But I do I do like his performance, and um, I just really do not like this Nicholas guy, man. Like, well, yeah, I mean they've done a very good job of making him that, uh, not particularly subtly, um, and I'm actually surprised that we didn't get. A similar reaction from Deanna to Nicholas and his interpretation of events and like the conflict. I mean, who knows what Glenn told her? Cause we think we're seeing Glenn telling Deanna, but it turns out it's Glenn telling Rick. So who knows what Glenn told Deanna, but um, I'm surprised we didn't get a similar reaction to, to Deanna about Nicholas that we got about Pete where she like, is what we were talking about last week where she already, this was a known situation and it wasn't a surprise to her. And it's not, it's not like she doesn't believe Rick when, you know, or Carol by extension, when they say this is what's going on. Um, given the shady ways that um, people have just not come back 
so frequently with so few details in in previous runs, at least based on what Aiden, you know, was saying as he was, you know, before, right before he was going to be horribly, horribly eaten by walkers. Uh, yeah, I just, and maybe that's yet to come, but with the way that that fight goes down at the end, and granted, Rick's looking and sounding like a crazy person, so there's that, but she seemed a bit too one-sided with that, as opposed to disgusted with both, you know, with, with mm. Pete and with, um, and with Rick and with Nicholas and maybe with herself. Like that seemed a little too pointed for me. I don't know. what do you guys think? I agree that that's, that's been something that I've been wondering about just because her background as a politician and this whole uh, gimmick of recording all of these conversations, you figure that she must be very good at reading people. She says as much when we first meet her. And I, I get the sense as she's watching the video of Nicholas that she's kind of seen through the bullshit, which is why I also think that some of her hesitation towards the end of this episode is like solely directed at Rick because we also are kind of witnessing his breakdown. Even Michonne comes in and just bangs him across the head because he's out of line. So I, I'm hoping that that's the case because if she is somebody who genuinely can read people like that, then it makes her a much more interesting character in the universe of The Walking Dead uh, TV series because it, it needs somebody like that to be able to not like look like a complete dumbass, which some people sometimes do. Well, and that's one of the things I most enjoyed about her from her first appearance is that she did seem so canny and you believed her ability to lead this group and to help it survive to this point, despite not having any post-apocalyptic skills, really, um, any Walker skills. Uh, but if she can't look at, um, if she can't look at Glenn and look at Nicholas and know who to believe, then that completely undermines what she said before. So I do want to give the show the benefit of the doubt and say that that is coming next. She may have issues with Rick or not trusting Rick, but I mean, Glenn, come on. Yeah, but I, I think at the end of that conversation, or sorry, at the end of that that interview, she says, uh, you don't know what I see, and I see a great deal. And I think that's her way of telling Nicholas that she knows a lot more than he thinks she knows. And that goes back to what I said uh, you know, just before that, I do think that Nicholas is friends with one of these people that she exiled. And the only thing that's strange about this is that if she knows what kind of person Nicholas is, and if she knows he's not necessarily the best person to send out in, say, like a run, why would she send him along with her son if this guy can put her son in danger? Like, I can understand sending Aiden with, um, you know, Eugene and Tara and Glenn, but why would she send Nicholas if she knows him so well? That's the only thing I don't understand. But I think she, I, I think she knows that um, that he's full of shit, and I think it's pretty obvious with the way he's talking. Like he just seems so on the defensive side. You know, he doesn't even seem like he's sad that Aiden died. It's just kind of like it's all about it's his fault. I'm innocent. You know, yeah. et cetera. Et cetera. It seems like there's quite a bit of narcissism there. Um, but I, I I would guess that my guess of what she would be thinking was that Aiden can handle himself. And, you know, Aiden doesn't need to worry about this stupid pipsqueak. And because she doesn't know what it's actually like out there and how easy it is for somebody like Nicholas to, you know, for, for somebody who is actually self-sacrificing to get themselves killed and a good person to get killed while a Weasley person runs away and saves their own skin. Um, that is more easy for me to buy, I guess I'd say. Um, 
Yeah. I, I, Sean, okay, last, last week, uh, Kate and I talked about this, and I asked Kate a question, and I was like, okay, what would you do with Pete, right? So where do you stand? Are you more on Rick's side, or would you sort of, like, side with Deanna in the sense that he is sort of vital because, you know, he is a doctor, he can do things like save people's lives? Like, what would you do with Pete? Because I just feel like I was kind of shocked that Rick actually had the balls to straight up tell Deanna that he wanted to kill Pete. I guess I'm not surprised what Rick did and how he did it. Um, as a viewer, personally, I, I think it's somewhere in between the two, where there's got to be some way of dealing with the situation where nobody has to die and nobody, I guess, is <laughs> pretty much forced to to make it on their own outside. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's a very strange situation, obviously, because of the context of this entire series. But um, as a narrative decision, which is maybe the, the best way of looking at it, I think that the the life or death angle is probably the most interesting one. I don't, I don't know how realistic it is to, to say that Pete could coexist separate from... Uh, his wife in in Alexandria after having been confronted about this. Okay, her preferred method of punishment is exile. But according to her, exile basically means a person's going to die because they won't survive in the middle of the woods with hundreds of walkers mm -hmm. attacking. So technically, she's giving so and so a death sentence. Yeah, it's that's weak. Yeah, it it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Um, take any of the responsibility away. I don't I don't know if she would honestly believe that by simply by exiling somebody that, that the blood isn't on her hands anymore. And if that is an issue that gets brought up, then okay, then that becomes something that's interesting. But uh, yeah, it's I don't because, know. Well, it's because here's the, it's tricky because Rick's approach is practical, right? And he is technically the leader of this group of people who have survived hell like, you know, and the cannibals and the governor and et cetera, et cetera. So clearly, despite the fact that he's made, you know, some mistakes, he's still managed to find a way to keep his son alive, his daughter alive, you know, people like Carol, Michonne, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, it's like, I don't know what I would do. Like, honestly, I would just like, I would, because you do need a doctor. <laughs> like, you do need a doctor. If there's no one else that can do what Pete does, he is important to the community. But there has to be a better way to handle the situation as opposed to exile and killing them. And no one even like no like I mean, they've known about this for quite some time and yet no one has ever tried to, I don't know, counsel the guy or something, take away the alcohol. Like do you really need liquor in this community? <laughs> something, you know what I mean? Like there's gotta be a better solution. She's clearly hoping that it'll fix itself. And she's projecting out these different ways that it could go wrong. I think we don't know a lot about the situation. Like, we don't know if he has any friends in this community. Like, does is there anybody there who actually could take Pete aside and, like, talk to him and, you know, get him to be willing to, you know, let his wife go and that kind of thing? Or is there nobody like that? And would any move be considered just aggressive and you know is pete the kind of person who if you did this he would pretend that everything was fine and then the next time he had somebody on his table he would kill them like there's a lot we don't necessarily know about pete um 
in the situation. However, I I do agree that those are not their only options. And I, th- I think that they're just... It, if this weren't a TV show, I think there would be several more steps that would have happened. And then it would get pushed to a boiling point and they would have to decide, are we killing him or are we exiling him? Um, like they would try separating them in different houses and then Pete would act out and like that, that's all stuff that, that they project like, but what if this happens, but we don't actually see, you know, maybe it wouldn't happen and we don't see that explored. But but here, here's the thing. Okay. I guess I just need a little bit more information on why Deanna makes the decision that she makes to keep Pete and not, and you know, basically turn a blind eye to this spouse abuser because she's exiled three people. So why would she exile three people but not exile him if he's beating up his wife and kid? I understand he's a doctor, but like, what exactly? Like, I mean, she because she has such a tight control over the community that I find it hard to believe that she is pretending to not know it's happening and or not even inform Rick Grimes or Michonne, considering that she appointed Rick and Michonne as the constables. Like, shouldn't they be informed that there is this dude who's an alcoholic who does beat his wife? You know, because clearly they're going to find out. You know, if you give Rick Grimes that sort of, like, control and or authority, then you know it's eventually going to come out and he's going to have to deal with it. So it's it's just a very sloppy decision-making on her part. Well, but I get the sense, and I'm curious, um, Sean, what you think of this. I got the sense that this was an issue that she discovered or that, you know, was discovered at some point a while back. And then they was there, you know, there was some level of confrontation and he said, I'm never going to do it again or whatever. And she was hoping it was going to, that would fix it and it wouldn't be a problem anymore. And then this is the first time it's been brought back to her attention since then. I, I'm assuming that Jesse has like talked to her and tried to convince her that it's okay when it's not. And then that kind of allows her to maybe turn a slightly blind eye towards that. I imagine that that's part of it, but yeah. Yeah. I'd totally buy that. But you know what the big, huge problem here is, is that, This is a completely different Rick Grimes than the Rick Grimes from season one because despite the fact that Pete is beating up his wife and child, Rick has a personal investment. He actually likes her. Like, you know, he has the hawks for her. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's in love with her, but he likes her. So he has a personal investment. If it was anyone else, would he do it? And so he sort of like confesses to her that I think she asks him, would you do it for anyone else? And he says, no. So he's pretty much saying, I'm doing it for you because I like you. And so Deanna and I think everyone else is clearly aware that Rick Grimes has a personal investment and he does like her. And so that kind of like makes everything sort of gray in everyone else's eyes. Yeah, I didn't like that for that reason. It's like, if you're going to have the discussion, have the discussion, but I, and maybe they're intentionally drawing these parallels. Oh, Rick's just like, like when he's being all crazy guys, you know, that seems like it's a very governor moment for him, or he's just like Deanna, um, in, in her handling of this, he would do exactly what she did, except that he happens to like this chick, you know? Um, I was, I, I didn't need that. And I don't think that the romance angle of it needed that either. He's on enough of a power trip as it is. He doesn't need an additional reason to go looking for a fight with, with Pete. Yeah. So it just feels like it's all about sex. (laughs) Like, honestly, the the way that specific scene was written, it's like, you know, in the past it was because he wanted to save his son. It's about community. It's about, 
you, you know, the more we are, the stronger we are, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's basically, I have the hots for you. Well, and how about, you know, he's got a young son. Rick is a father. He has Why a daughter. He, Pete has a daughter? <laughs> Rick Grimes has a daughter. We always forget about the daughter. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Pete. Pete oh, has Pete a son. Grimes. He has a okay. young son. How long is it going to take before he's beating the son or the son tries to help his mom and one of them ends up dead? Why are we only seeing Rick respond to this, not as a fellow parent, not as any of these other things, but exactly. or, or as like, this is a guy who gets drunk and does stupid shit. Maybe he would get drunk, slam through a door somewhere, like go to go get his kid from wherever their kids are being watched and end up killing my daughter. I mean, like, I, I think there are more interesting ways to explore this beyond, oh, look, there's a pretty new love interest for Rick. Mm -hmm. I think it, it might just be because the the time in that most closely parallels this was the post uh, post Laurie death era where Rick was just totally unhinged mentally, and I feel like he's kind of in a similar uh, mental and emotional state right now, and and just being having any kind of feelings, whatever they are, of love, of just infatuation, whatever it is towards Jesse, that that puts him back in that kind of frame of mind, which would probably give more import to her and not necessarily to everything else that he should also care about at the same time, because there's plenty that he's not really paying attention to right now. You mentioned earlier, Ricky, um, is, you know, why is she even exiling people if it's basically you're, you think you're sending them off to their death? Um, and that's a worse death anyways. Um, I, I, that feels like a very, a political choice mm -hmm. and it feels very fitting for her because um she's a politician well because you're not necessarily going to get the community to agree to kill someone that they that get them all to agree that an offense that has been committed is serious enough that this person needs to be killed but it's much easier to say okay well we're not going to kill you but we're not going to protect you either and uh, and so I think that just that really makes sense to me. And then if other people want to go with that person when they leave to try to help them, they're wel welcome to do so. You know, like, I, I don't know. I think that I think that makes sense. No, it does. It totally does. But can I just point out the fact that uh, Rick Grimes did the exact same thing to Carol? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, he's such a hypocrite. Like he did the exact same thing. And yet, you know. There could be this possibility that if you exile Pete, he's going to come back with, I don't know, like a crew, like the governor, and tear down the walls. Yes, there is a possibility that could happen. But it Or just... maybe he'll rocket launcher and save your ass from cannibals. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't know. And I just, the, I guess I just find it, like, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I think the writers are really trying to find ways, they are, like, desperate to find ways to create tension quickly within the community because they know that the majority of viewers are not going to want to sit and watch a tv show called the walking dead in which the survivors go to a house party and drink all night long you know what i mean so yeah. they needed they needed to speed up the plot but it's just like it's just such a baffling way like or a, an odd choice like I, mean, I, I just wish they had found a different way to do it and i think nicholas like if I was the writer of The Walking Dead, Nicholas would have been my way to speed up the plot. Like already, we know this guy is shady. He, like, I, I already uh, assume that he is most likely friends with the people who have been exiled. We know there's people surrounding Alexandria because there's all these zombies 
uh, popping up with the W and or M carved on their foreheads, you know, like, so I, I do find it interesting. Like it's it just um, like watching Rick explode is sort of interesting, but it's also something we've seen time and time again, you know? So it's just like, how, how long are we going to see Rick Grimes go from like, you know, stable, loving dad, protector of the survivors to like nutcase who gets knocked out by Michonne. But what I love about that that fight sequence, apart from the way it's actually staged and filmed, because it's actually kind of like filmed the way they film like a zombie attack. Like I thought it was really cool, like the camera angles, the way Rick Grimes has like blood all over his face. It kind of even looked like they were like biting uh, into each other at one point in time. But it's the fact that Carol doesn't actually step in to kind of sort of defend Rick Grimes and or express any sort of opinion. Like she remains in in uh, incognito. Like she remains sort of like the woman, the baker, like the, the person who's like what's like she, you know what I mean? She's still like the um, the sheep in wolf's clothing type thing. So I really like the way Carol reacted to the sequence. And uh, I think that's why Carol's a lot smarter than Rick Grimes. And at this point in time, she she would probably make a way better leader than Rick. Hmm. Well, I don't know that she wants to be a leader and I don't know how well that would suit her. She's not one for speeching. Um, but I, I will say for, for me that that fight and the ranting sort of we get from from Rick fits very well with a uh, match or is paralleled very distinctly with what we get with Sasha um, and, and in, now that the group is actually in a safe place, comparatively safe place, they are able to start just going nuts <laughs> with all of their PTSD. And I think that's an interesting thing to explore and having, I mean, I've seen some people complaining online um, about uh, Sasha and basically just like kind of going nuts in this way and why they have, they have, you know, they have so few women of color on this show. Why does one of them have to just all of a sudden be crazy? But I, I think that that m makes sense for her or one of the, the characters like this to just reach a breaking point and just not be okay. And I like that the show, now that they are no longer in a constant state of uh, defense and having to make sure that they can survive, now that they have a little bit more safety and more room, you know, they're... they're subconscious is you know there all these issues are finally coming forward in a way that they must have needed to for a long time i'm curious is the sasha stuff working for you guys as as much as it is for me you know what for the people who complain that they have like only two like women of color first of all they don't have only two women of color on the show and second of all that just makes her more human because yeah it's called ptsd you know what i mean the way she is reacting to me is completely realistic and i love her performance Sasha and Michonne's character beats in this episode is what worked for me. To, to me, that's what makes this still a good episode. Take away those scenes, and I don't think this would be a good episode. I uh, and it's not because we we um, we needed AMC to give us our zombie kill quota, you know, because like a hundred zombies do die at the hands of Michonne, Sa Sasha, and Rosita. But it's just the way it examines her fallout, like the way she's dealing with uh, Noah's d death, not just Tyrese, but the fact that she actually feels guilty about not being very nice to Noah before he died. You know, there's, there's a lot going on there. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was one of the better times, if not the best time they've actually explored her character and, and, and like expanded on her as a person and not just a zombie killer. Yeah, if that's the general buzz going around about Sasha, I, I also disagree with it. If just because 
these last three or four episodes have been really enjoyable if just for the fact that there hasn't needed to be a zombie kill quota that like after four seasons five seasons of build-up of tension uh i guess it's not five for for every character but however many it is for each character everybody needs to kind of sit down and deal with life in this world because everybody's going to have a different reaction yeah sasha's is much more i guess violent and uncontrollable than a lot of other people's i know Michonne hanging up her sore is a different kind of way of dealing with where she's at right now. Uh, Abraham dealing with his stuff is a, a much different thing as well. And Sasha just needs to be doing this because she's the one who has had the most immediate and powerful amount of things happen to her all at once. And so it, it's just likely and appropriate that she's the one to have this kind of reaction. Or at least recent, because she's no different than Michonne was when we first were, were introduced to Michonne way back at the end of season one, beginning of season two. In fact, that is why they intercut the flashback scenes of Michonne in the past with Sasha and them taking out the zombies. There's a, there's a reason for that. And the thing is, it's like you mentioned Abraham and Michonne and the, the way they are dealing with Alexandria and the fact that they haven't really felt comfortable in settling into this community and I mean, we saw the exact same thing with Abraham. I don't know if it was last week or the weekend, the week before. And in this episode, despite the fact that Michonne doesn't bring her sword along, you can still see that she still itches to sort of be back in sort of like the wilderness, like surrounded by walkers and killing these walkers. Like they, it's, it's what the world is now, you know, it's what they know. And I think the thing is, it's like, I think a part of, a part of them, like especially specifically Michonne, cause she's the one that punches Rick at the end of the episode. She wants to try to make things work at Alexandria, no doubt, but she just does not want to become weak. And so it's, it's a bit of fear, but it's also them just being smart. Well, and it's also that it's, it's easier in some ways to be living that survival existence. You don't have to think you just act and you kill anything that is threatening you. And you, you just, you know, I, Michonne, the silent, uh, Walker pet having samurai assassin or whatever, that is, yeah, I, it just makes me think of a show like Vampire Diaries where the <laughs> vampires can shut off their emotions. It's like a thing that they can do on that show. It's part of the mythology. So if you, you know, some of these situations, they're much easier if you don't have a morality that you have to think about. And if you are put in constant, I do this or I die, so I don't have a choice, so I don't think. They're, that is appealing to them when they're dealing with the amount of trauma that they're dealing with, especially Sasha right now. And Michonne recognizes that, and that's why she acts the way she does at the at the end, knocking out Rick. I really like that, and I like the choice to have her be the one to rein Rick in, which I don't know why I didn't see it coming, but I should have. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that they do a good job of showing all these positives to Alexandria, but also all the ways that these people have to actively choose to make it work instead of just mm -hmm. having relief. Like Maggie seems like she's, she's relieved to be there, but not every character can have that experience. I liked that. And, and just to go back quickly to um, the women of color thing, it was just kind of awesome to have Sasha and Michonne and Rosita just, 
kicking ass and taking names. I know, Just, right? You know, power shot of three badass chicks hey. on the show. Women, I should say. Chicks, no. Women, yes. Um, taking care of business. Uh, I, I love that as much as we may talk at various times in the show's run, them having uh, issues with their representation. This is not a show that's had an issue with uh, gender representation for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think we're all on the same page. It's a matter of it's a matter of uh, making sure that your skills remain sharp. But it's also a security blanket. It's it's something that they actually oddly do take comfort in, like being on the offense instead of always on the defense, like being one step ahead of the walkers. Like I kind of get it. And uh, yeah, so I think we're all on the same page. Did that remind anybody else of, of Morgan? Sasha talking about, you know, like this, having this mission to just go kill as many of them as she can, that immediately made me think of Morgan and uh, Clear. Yeah, I was going to say, I think another note on Sasha, um, with the exception of Gabriel, I think she's the only one in the group who uh, neither has any of the original crew that she had when she came in or any of the people that she has developed a bond with since then. I think everybody else, you know, Maggie has lost everybody that she had before we knew her, but she's developed a relationship with Glenn, obviously. I think Sasha's the only one who doesn't have either of those two things, and that's also a position that Morgan is in since, you know, we we assume that Dwayne's dead. Did, we were clear on that, right? And Claire, they mentioned that Dwayne was dead? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so Morgan has nothing either. So those, those two parallels, I think that that's a really astute observation, Kate. Do we have any other thoughts, uh, any other elements of the episode we want to talk about, or is it finale speculation time? Oh, God. Um, I just want to quickly mention that, once again, I like the way the episode is directed, and I talk about this, this each and every single week, Like, and it's not just about the look of the show, the cinematography, but it's about the visual motifs. Like, I love the fact that Rick keeps on looking out, and we always get the reoccurring shot of the red balloon. I love the red balloon shot. Uh, like little little things like that that the, the the director did this week, and like once again the way the the fight sequence was choreographed, like you know not just like the fact that they you know clearly hired stuntmen and they went through the window and that was awesome, but just the way it was uh, edited, like it really looked like it mirrored one of the zombie attacks, and also again in- including the flashbacks of Michonne, I thought that was a really nice touch. I'm just so confused why we never got a closing shot of Daryl and Aaron, because I just thought that was weird to throw in that one scene and then you never come back to it. Um, so that was my biggest beef with the episode, just because I'm a huge fan of Daryl. And I actually really like this guy, Aaron. I think he's awesome. And uh, apart from that, uh, we do get a lot of VW. So Kate and I have talked about this on the podcast, Sean. What do you think the W stands for? It's Woodbury. The governor's coming back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even put that out into the uh, into the ether. Um, I I well, I can't make any good assumptions, I guess. But if I had to guess, it, it'd be relating to one of the the people that's been exiled from Alexandria. I I don't imagine it's anybody that we've seen previously. Right. Okay. Um, so, because I had a crazy theory that it could be M. For Morgan, it's just, you know, the W, the M, like, kind of, like, upside down. Um, so I talked about that last week. But also, like, if you have read the comic book, it could mean that we're going to get uh, some major characters from the com- comic book being introduced soon, which is clearly a possibility. But the thing is, in this episode, we have a woman who's tied to a tree, who's now, of course, a walker. 
So that means they took this woman and she was still alive, this lady, and they tied her to the tree and left her to be eaten by walkers. Not that she was a walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Right. And then they tied her. Which is why maybe it could be somebody that was exiled. Like if, if those were some of the people who uh, Aiden and Nicholas had to leave behind, that that might be like a revenge play. But uh, that's that's just speculation. I was I the only one um, to be gruesome here for a moment who thought there was a bit too much of her left. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's right. Just, you know, Daryl was going to like, you know, look at her face or whatever. I was like, ah, oh, she's good. I was expecting like a quick snap at him or something. So I was glad when it was, no, she's just turning, mm-hmm. um, which matched with the, the blood being very red and not very Brown. Um, so I, I liked I liked that they didn't go quite the way I was expecting with that, um, but yeah, the, the stuff that we get with Aaron and uh, with Daryl is very much to be continued next week. So do we have any anything we want to like? What are things that we want to see in in the finale? Goodbye, Rick, for season six. Go, mm-hmm. you're exiled. You can go spend <laughs> the season somewhere else. Um, I I guess I don't want. I want Alexandria to remain a thing. Like I, I want the season to end and to have that still be intact, at least for X amount of our main crew. If, if again, the show decides to split them into groups and some people go with Rick or whatever the case may be, then that's totally fine. As long as Alexandria is still in the mix. I'm down with that. What do you think, Rick? Yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere. I think Alexandria is going to be around for at least the next three seasons. And um, we got a dog this week. There was a dog. That was awesome. <laughs> um, I had a wish list. We got a dog, and there was something else we had in this episode that I wished for. Actually, you know what, Kate? Like, I think it was last year, or if not, like, maybe not last year, but the beginning of season five, I actually said I wanted a scene in which it's just Rosita, Michonne, and Sasha kicking ass, and we got it this week. So, there yeah. you go. My wish list came, came out like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, so I can't think of anything else. Uh, wish list for future episodes uh, or speculation and or what? Both? Yeah, well, for the finale, the big finale next week. Do you think, does the season end on a cliffhanger with Alexandria under attack from whoever's doing the W's or the M's? Or does it, um, does it end, does that happen earlier and then we end on resolution? How about that? That's, let's that, have that be our prediction question. Okay, well, last week I already said that I don't think any major characters are going to die in the last episode, but... It's 90 minutes long, which I didn't realize till like earlier today that they extended an extra 30 minutes. So now I'm kind of doubting myself, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say no major character dies next week, but I do think it's going to end on a cliffhanger. And uh, clearly whatever is happening with Daryl and Aaron, it's uh, it's going to I think it's going to take up most of the screen time. Like I think Daryl and Aaron are going to run into whoever it is or tracking and those people are either going to be like allies like Morgan and or they're going to be like enemies which would be I guess I'm assuming the people who were exiled from uh, Alexandria but I really do think Nicholas is the one that's going to cause all the trouble like because he, he gets the gun in this, in this episode you know he's getting the gun for a reason and I think he might go after Glenn mm-hmm. what do you think uh, Sean I I think that there'll be resolution, and I also agree that I, I don't really suspect like another major character death. There's been plenty of that already, and 
uh, the, that length, I think, allows for there to be some sort of big conflict that gets resolved. And I think that it revolves around Rick and not necessarily the the bigger picture of somebody attacking Alexandria because the defenses are pretty fortified. So that would, I guess it, it would take a 90-minute episode, but still. But, but uh, th- then the only major conflict is Rick and Pete. So you think it's going to be resolved by next week? Uh, I think that they'll figure out what to do with that next week. I think that the other thing that might happen, um, like a like a sub uh, sub story cliffhanger, would be the the uh, the Daryl and oh my god, what's his name? Aaron. The the Daryl and Aaron arc. I think maybe that will end on a cliffhanger, but that might be the secondary focus of the episode. You know why I think you're wrong? Because if you look at the history of The Walking Dead. What happens is there's a conflict between two people, usually Rick Grimes and someone else, and they are about to resolve it and they are interrupted. And so it never gets resolved. And so what I, that's why I think what's going to happen is they're going to try and resolve the Rick and Pete situation. And then something's going to happen that's going to interfere and interrupt this sort of like maybe a courtroom session. I don't know what they're going to do, put them on trial or something. And it could be, for example, someone attacking Alexandria and or something else. It could just be a bunch of walkers. But I don't think they're going to resolve the Pete and Rick situation at all. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if, because it will be interrupted, what if Pete sticks around and he ends up becoming a major character in the future because somehow he has a change of heart? That could also happen. <laughs> Many things could happen. Uh, the The only character I'm I'm foreseeing as a long-term addition currently uh, is Aaron. I think he's done, he's really gelled with, uh, the, the actor Mars. I'm going to guess, get, get this wrong. I'm sure. But, uh, Ross Marcand, uh, has really gelled well with Norman Reedus and, uh, the rest of the cast. And, uh, and very quickly, I know his name and am interested in him as a person. So I would expect that. And uh, Deanna could easily become a staple on the show or, um, could, could not. And, um, I think Deanna's going to stick around for quite a while. And I mean, yeah, she has to. Like if if they're going to do a coup, if they're going to take over Rick and Carol or somebody is going to try to take over and Deanna could die in the proceedings, you know, like I don't, I don't see this being a, um, a Dama Rosalind situation where they take over Alexandria and throw, uh, Deanna in the brig. You know what I mean? I also think that Enid has potential to be a part of the cast. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think her, Deanna, Aaron, and Olivia. (laughs) We haven't seen. We're going to see her next week? You're going to see Olivia drive up in a tank and, like, blow someone up. I'm telling you, she's badass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, um, thank you, Sean, so much for coming on the podcast to talk about this episode. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? I'm doing written reviews over at Sound On Sight and TVOvermind.com right now. Spartacus at Sound On Sight and The Americans, yeah, at TVOvermind. And then there are previous podcasts at Sound On Sight for Hannibal for This Is Our Design, co-hosted, of course, by Kate Kolzik. Uh, And then also Under the Hood, the Banshee podcast with Les Chappell and the Midseason Replacements, a more general TV slash film slash sports slash life podcast with Randy Dinkovich. And, uh, of course, this is our design coming back for another fun season this summer, now that we have our premiere date. Oh, my God. I don't even want to think about it right now. Comic-Con's going to be crazy for Hannibal. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, Ricky, what's what's going on on the site right now? What should uh, our listeners go check out? 
um, the entire website. <laughs> but well, we have... Yes, that's what we think. But let's, let's make it a little easier for them. Let's be a little specific. We have a lot of podcasts, the Hannibal podcast. I'm so excited for season three because Neil Marshall and Vincenzo Natale are directing episodes. It's going to be amazing. Super excited. Talking about podcasts, how about Damn Fine Podcast? Oh, my God. Our Twin Did Peaks you podcast. listen to the Twin Peaks podcast? I haven't had a chance yet. I've okay, been, so I've here's been the thing. Yeah. Yeah, listen they're great. To the Twin Peaks podcast because it's not just about listening to two people talk or three people talk about uh, an episode that's like what 15 20 years old it's about actually discovering new secrets and things that you might not already know it's fantastic so it's twin peaks uh podcast hannibal podcast uh we're gonna come back with the true detective podcast guaranteed uh, of course game of thrones starts in uh two weeks i believe two weeks oh yeah. god so I'm, ex- I'm actually really three weeks. Ex- Wait, three weeks. Really, I I have such a blast recording the Game of Thrones podcast each and every single week. Uh, so I'm excited, and um, yeah, there's lots yeah. of things to do over at townsite.org. I just look forward to a time when I only have one podcast to record a week. Nope. As much as I enjoy them, nope, not allowed. This nope. is gonna I- go Walking Dead to Game of Thrones to Hannibal. To to Walking Dead in the fall. That's what's going to happen this year. <laughs> I wanted to start a Flash podcast so bad, but I was just like, there's there will be like 24 episodes, I think, in one season. I was like, I can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, well, well, there's lots of great stuff going up over at uh, the, the TV section. We just had one of our writers, uh, Joshua, put, uh, put up a retrospective, kind of look at Glee and the finale, but also the, the themes of the series. That was pretty neat. There was some, been some, a lot of really great content, original articles going up, including, I'm going to plug it again since he's here, Sean wrote a fantastic piece about Leslie Nope for all the Parks and Rec fans out there that you guys should go seek out. Um, at Sound on Site TV. Um, lots of great content over at Sound on Site. Um, and of course, you can always you know leave us a comment, rating, or review in iTunes for the, for this podcast and reach, reach out on uh, on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and you can also email the Televerse at gmail.com or leave us a comment at the site. We'd love to talk to you guys about this stuff. So let us know what you think is coming in the finale. Um, yeah, if you can actually like our Facebook page, we're trying to get to, I think, 12,000 uh, followers or fans or likes, whatever you call it. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sound Insight. Okay, well, thank you again, Sean, so much for coming on the podcast this week. Uh, hopefully, you'll be back next year, yes? Most definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, next week, we'll be back. Ricky and I will be back to talk about the season finale of Season 5, Conquer, written by Scott M. Gimple and directed by Greg Nicotero. So... There's there's going to be action and there's going to be big things happening, of course. Um, so until then, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. 